Hello and welcome to another episode of Sporting Minds UK podcast with me, Ollie Westby, your host as usual. Uh, Cal is back with us today for another episode of the podcast. Um, we've not we've not done one for a while, Cal. Um, how are you, mate? How have you been? What have you been up to much? Yeah, not uh, not not too much, Wes. It's been a yeah a while since we've done another podcast, but um, delighted to be back speaking with you. Uh, got a very special guest, but yeah, it's been a pretty pretty chill few weeks. Um, managed to cope with playing a bit of cricket with you, um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been fairly chill to be honest. Yeah, you love spending your Saturdays with me, don't you? <laughs> well, it's um, it's it yeah, it can grind you a bit thin to be honest, especially watching you bat. um so we will get cracking straight away with the next episode of the podcast and we are absolutely delighted to say that we have nick compton um former england test cricketer and middlesex and somerset um cricketer joining us um today we're absolutely over the moon to have somebody who's played such a high level of sport um joining us to give his insights on what it's like to play professional sport at the highest level uh nick we're we're so grateful for your time um so how are you mate Uh, thank you for joining us Thanks, guys. Yeah, really excited to to be a part of this episode and and to meet you guys. And um, yeah, I'm good. I'm well. I'm as well as can be. I've had an interesting couple of years. I, I guess with COVID, everyone's had an interesting couple of years. So um, for me, I spent some time back in in the country I grew up in, in South Africa. Um, I kind of figured that being in a place like that versus a locked up in a flat in London was a slightly better offer and a better option. Yeah. Um, so let's just say I've, I've probably not had the worst of it and I've been quite lucky to escape sort of English winters and, and lockdowns, although we've had, you know, South Africa had their own one. Um, it's a bit better with the sun shining and, and being able to spend some time at home with family. I, you know, I left um, South Africa when I was 15 years old and took up a, you know, a scholarship at, at a school, at Harrow school, which, which was obviously a very, uh, which was a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, a chance for me to try and follow in, in granddad's footsteps, etc. And, you know, I think it's probably the first time I've been able to really go back for a sustained period of time, you know, of course, professional cricket, um, you know, for the next 20 years, pretty much, you know, was a, a full on uh, endeavor. And, um, you know, in some ways, although COVID has, you know, certainly made life more difficult. It's given me more of an opportunity. And I suppose a lot of more uh, people an opportunity to connect with, with family, spend more time at home, and probably something I wouldn't have done. So you know, you say that you've been back to South Africa um, whilst you were growing up. Um, those first fifteen years, was it always an ambition of yours to play to play professional sport, or was it something that kind of you, you you were good at you were good at the sport and 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 so you you kind of played it. How did that come about? Yeah, for me, I, that's what I wanted to do. I, I, it's a strange one. I mean, people ask me this question in terms of you know this this grandfather Dennis Compton who who played cricket for England, football for England, and and sort of transcended his era in the UK, um, and people sort of think that that's the sort of natural direction that I took and my parents probably pushed me into that direction and not at all I mean I, I grew up in a, in a country that yes you know um, is a is sport mad you know from a from a rugby cricket perspective um, they're very passionate about um, about their sport but you know like any other youngster growing up you know I was a, a good young sportsman I, I played everything you know from tennis to hockey to cricket and 
you know, that was what I wanted to do. I think that was, that was what I was most passionate about. And, you know, the cricket was probably, it was football first. I think when you're younger, football was the, the sport that I loved. And, you know, it, it, there was just no question in my mind that's what I wanted to do. I mean, dad didn't tell me I had to do it or I, I wasn't pushed in any way, as I said. But I was just, you know, that that, that was just a, the ambition and passion, should I say, grew very quickly. Um, you know, I, I love sport. I wanted to do it. And it became apparent that cricket was probably the sport that I was going to excel at best. Um, that's, yeah. Um, so if we move on a couple of years, so that was your, um, obviously that was your early development, but if we move on a couple of years towards um, uh, something that I'm really intrigued to know, um, from a personal perspective, but obviously, we Sporting Minds UK is about all athletes from all kinds of different backgrounds, um, and they make international debuts all the time. Um, I, I belittle that a little bit. I don't mean it quite like that, but obviously, people make international appearances and debuts. Um, can you talk us through your emotions the evening before your test debut in Ahmedabad? Like what's going through your head? Is there any self-doubt in there at all? Uh, do you, uh, would, were you overawed by the occasion or were you very relaxed kind of back in yourself and, and believing that, you know, you, you're more than adequate at that level? Yeah, look, I, for me, it was a obviously a huge moment. I had... You know, preceding that, I'd left Middlesex, gone down to Somerset, where I think I really found my feet, um, both being involved with a club that was at the forefront of, of county cricket in all forms and and also had a, a director of cricket in Brian Rose, who captained the county and, and played for England as well, who I think managed me very well and really gave me a chance to identify with the role that I probably was best suited to which was, you know, that sort of a Jonathan Trott, Alistair Cook role, you know, embedding myself in um, trying to bat through an innings and being the glue to, to an innings. Um, and, and I think, you know, when I went down there, um, you know, I really found my feet. So I suppose going into the India series, getting selected for that series, um, you know, co confidence was high in terms of what I had developed and what I had done for, say, the pre previous two years. Um, but of course, there was self-doubt. I don't think the the self-doubt ever left me. I, you always hoped as a player, even at school level, um, you know, the, the questions were, would I make it? You know, was I good enough? And every day seemed to be a, a time where you would sort of prove it to yourself by playing well, getting some runs. And then the next time you would fail. And then the questions and the doubts and the insecurities would all flood back. And it it sort of followed for me a, a bit of a, a roller coaster or a, a constant wave of of confidence versus lack of confidence versus doubt, and you know, I I guess some players mask it better, some players deal with it better. For me, I found the emotions very intense um, all the way through my career. Um, it was almost it was almost strange to so going up to the first test. I mean, here I am having been picked for England. Um, you know, I was probably the leading batsman in England at the time, and yeah, deserved my opportunity. But of course, until you get out there, until you score runs on the international sort of front, you don't know. Um, I, I had a feeling that I was destined to do this. I think that's what kept the passion and the desire and the drive 
to to keep going because let me tell you there were a lot of moments professionally and, and even when I was at school that you know I, I you know I never thought I would make it or I wasn't good enough and and I it, it, as I said it was a constant balancing act um but yeah walking out there I was incredibly nervous I mean I, all I remember is you know uh, I worked very hard emotionally I think on on handling emotions I think for me the guys who excel the most are able to handle their emotions. So it's also, it's an emotional intelligence of sorts where um, you have to practice that. Um, you know, some players are better at it. Alistair Cook, I think, had an innate ability to be very balanced. And, you know, I, I think, of course, he was a talented player, but I think his talent really came in the form of, of, of his mental balance of being not so up when he did well, not so down when he did badly. He was very, very level. I think with me, that came... To get to that point took a lot of work. Um, mm. I had to spend hours, you know, before the game, um, on the morning of the game, of just keeping my emotions balanced. I knew that if I got my emotions into a place where I was towards the spectrum of being calm, self-assured, relaxed, I then gave myself a better opportunity of performing on the day. Um, so the work mm. that I did was more around that than than the technical stuff because obviously tech, technical technical work you're practicing every day in the nets etc and you hope that what you take out on the day is your best stuff but if it isn't how do you how do you make that work so yeah I, you know walking out I can just remember looking at Doni um, Saywag <laughs> Tendulkar Kohli and that's a decent uh, slip cordon yeah it wasn't wasn't about <laughs> marking my and I, I always talk about it you know. Uh, I was shaking and I was sort of, I was part laughing at myself going <laughs> like, God. Uh, I try to, I try to put my spike into the ground to, to, to mark center. And I hardly pushed the, the spike into the floor. I was, I could feel my foot just sort of reverberating. And, and I was kind of judging myself going, Oh my God, mate, come on. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> This is a cricket match, you know, just get on with it. And so there was there was a self-talk, but then there was also an acknowledgement of, you know, this is a moment that I dreamt about. I mean, you know, looking up and seeing Tendulkar and Donny, there was, you know, there, I wasn't far away from getting my pen and pad out and asking them for, to autograph <laughs> my gloves you know, while I was taking centre. So, you know, then I had to sort of like smack myself over the head and go, come on, mate, you're actually, you know, you're on their level, you're on their level, you know, you're playing against them. So... Mixed emotions, but I think in looking at how I, I I had a plan for the series, and for me, the plan wasn't to be a one-test wonder. Um, mm. I think that presented a bit of a fear. Uh, you know, it's every level you go to, you start off with county <coughs> cricket, you want to play longer than one season, right? And you want to make your debut, and you want to score 100 in first-class cricket. So there's, there's always these little bar to get to first it's just getting selected oh wow that's what i wanted to do oh now i've got selected Ooh, i want to get 100 or i want to average 40 or i want to you know get a thousand runs in a season and so there's constant bars that keep pushing you which i which i think is great i think with an international cricket i was i didn't want to be a one test wonder and and for me there were four tests in that series and i did quite a lot of work with my mentor and coach before the series to look at what would be the perfect outcome before the series started. So for me, the perfect outcome was to complete the series. You know, yeah. I was a new player. If I played all four test matches, then that, then I'd obviously done enough 
to contribute A, to the team and B, to keep my place. So for me, that was kind of the bar that I set myself. I mean, it's pointless me saying I wanted to go in there and average 100 in that series. I mean, that's unrealistic, right? So that would have been nice. But I think the first thing was I want to play all four test matches and I want to experience batting in India. I want to I want to say, hey, I, I spent three hours at the crease with Dhoni behind me, Tendulkar behind me, and I faced all five or six Indian bowlers. You know, so that, that was kind of how I how I got perspective on the series and how I sort of calmed myself down in terms of the role I was trying to do. I was quite clear that I was just going to bat a long time. I was quite stubborn about that. Um, and there was no way I was going to go out there and play a few gung-ho shots trying to impress people and, you know, get out mm. and, and suddenly you're sitting there in the changing room and you get dropped for the second match. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when, when obviously, you know, you're, you're making your test debut, it's for for, for cricket, pretty much the highest level you can get to playing against India in India. And, you know, when a lot of people make their debut, maybe when they're getting presented with their cap or something, a lot of people um, say, oh, just go out and, and enjoy it. Was it was it really hard to actually, in that moment, you know, enjoy playing test cricket and actually realise, you know, this is, you know, the sort of pinnacle of sport for me? Um, or were you sort of constantly trying to look ahead and trying to plan ahead? And, and did that maybe sort of hinder your actually your, your ability in the moment to be like wow this is amazing and actually enjoy it um because i think it's one of those things enjoying it in sport where it's a lot easier said than done was that something you you felt yeah for sure i, I think i enjoyed my cricket afterwards <laughs> yeah and, yeah, and what i mean on it. what i mean by that is if i got 100 i enjoyed being in my hotel room or at home that evening did I enjoy mm. it? I don't think I did really enjoy it. I, I was told by people to, when I started playing at Lords, you know, of course you walk through the long room, you know, you're at the most famous cricket ground in the world with a history like no other. And yes, don't get me wrong, driving in there and, and being able to play at this ground. Of course you enjoyed that. Of course it was a, it was a pinch yourself moment and it was a moment to be very grateful for. But when you're walking, when that wicket goes down and you put, and you, put your gloves on and you're walking down through the long room um it's it's job it's 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 a it's work time and I think that was probably the time where my career shifted I think when I first arrived I was a, a South African youngster who um had this famous grandfather who had a you know I was my family were British and and I came over and you know suddenly saw lords and spent time with granddad and and this is where I wanted to be and, and I think I was a very, I was very passionate and and very keen to talk about. I want to play for England one day and, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think the changing point for me was seeing. It sounds quite boring, but realizing batting was like no other was like another job. And the, the sooner I realized that I was a batsman for hire, which means for for me, what it means is you get paid a salary, you get paid a contract. And whether I'm wearing a blue, red, green, beige shirt, it doesn't really matter. The, the, the job that I do is I open the batting or bat in the top three and I go out there and I see off the new ball and I build a big innings. That, that's my job. That's what someone pays me an amount to do each month. And I take that salary and I go and give him a set result. And I try to make that a very good set result so that wherever I went, this was the fee that I commanded, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. when I started to get to that 
although it takes slight, the slight fantasy away from it, it gives you a perspective that, you know, professional batting is a job. It's to be a professional batter, to score runs day in, day out, to find a way to produce the goods when you're not playing well in all conditions is, 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 is how you're becoming a, a better professional. So um, to answer the question fundamentally, sure, there are innings is that you enjoyed more. I mean, when the feet were moving and everything felt very natural and you're playing very well, you obviously enjoyed it more because you felt good about yourself. But a lot of the time for me, it's about the number. You know, I, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of players go out there and, and they have their day and, and they play well and they play their best cricket and they get 100 and everyone's happy. But for me, the, the, the when I went up a level was when I wasn't playing well and I still managed to score runs. You know, and it was it was the, the big question for me is how do you make what you've got on the day work? Yeah. You know, because you look at, you know, the, the British Open starts today, golf. There's I'm sure there's some golf people who, who play golf here that, you know, you, you'll watch four rounds of golf and no player will play the same every single round, which which and you think why he's practiced that much. He's playing good on Thursday. Why didn't he just play the same on Friday? It doesn't work like that. You know, your technique. Mm-hmm. Um, your timing, your, your everything changes from day to day, but but the key to doing that and, and making that work is 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 from an emotional and mental standpoint. And I think that's where the top players sort of go to the extra extra level, and I, and I think that's that's where I kind of got to. So yeah, I always found the pressure um, and perhaps the fear of getting out, the fear of failure, quite um, quite strong in my game, and I had to I had to really fight against that a lot of the time. So, so did you find actually that the fear of getting out motivated you to to kick on with your career and actually, you know, keep going? Because as you say that the, the the really good days almost take care of themselves, don't they? I mean, when you go to the next level, it's because you've been able to get runs not just when everything's absolutely um, in sync. I suppose quite an interesting thing you touched on there was when you said that you enjoyed you enjoyed your cricket sort of after you you'd done it so maybe yeah you score 100 and then you're back in your hotel room and you can enjoy that evening um did you think then that scoring runs became extremely important to you as an individual so when you went away from cricket maybe if you had a few weeks rest or something um you'd you'd really still be thinking about the runs that you scored and did you find that that almost defined you as a person rather than just a, a cricketer because I suppose that's the a lot of the time you talk at the charity about that idea of athletic identity and not seeing yourself as just a, a cricketer or just a footballer. So did you find that scoring runs became extremely important to you as a as a person? Yeah, unbelievably. Um, my life depended on it. Um, I was desperate for it. Um, I think there's more context to it in the sense that, again, leaving my family in South Africa, coming to England, you know, being at a boarding school where I was very homesick, um, then getting plucked out of school and, and making my debut for Middlesex and, and, and playing there. And let me be honest, it, it wasn't an easy ride. You know, a lot of, you know, hard-nosed professionals didn't really, I think, love the fact that I had a bit of blonde hair, was from South Africa and was telling everyone how I was going to play for England. I'm sure that really... Um, <laughs> really got them out of bed and obviously I had this famous grandfather so it, it was a it was a constant um, battle for me particularly early on I think once I understood more the politics of it and more understood that actually my focus needs to go into being better myself every single day um, you know Nick you can get caught up in 
the team and why it's not performing and why Johnny is being like this. Or I think once I dismissed that and got into the fact that I was a player and I was averaging what I was and actually my skills needed to improve and that was the only thing that mattered. And I'm not saying there's definitely a selfishness to it, um, but there's there's also a professionalism to it. And I think county cricket is notorious like that. The guy, it's a, it's a little bit sink or swim. You know, you you have to look after number one as a as a cricketer because you're playing an individual sport, and it is a it is a team sport, but it's an individual sport. It's a very sort of it's a very it's a slightly different dynamic. And you you know, I had to get my runs first, and I found that it became bigger than just the game. Uh, you know, scoring runs was totally, for me, an identity. Um, mm. With it, I felt good. With it, I felt content. With it, I felt able to um, be a better person, to be more relaxed, to enjoy, whether it be going out on a date, to, you know, whether I had a girlfriend, going to a movie. Without it, I felt vulnerable. I felt nervous. I felt pretty fragile. Um, I, I I craved the performance to to keep me afloat, if that makes sense. I I found going down to Somerset again. I had no real affiliation to Somerset, three hours away from London, which was probably the only sort of home base I, I had apart from South Africa. Um, it was a long way away from home. Um, players were quite quiet down there, and it was all about the team. It was all about the performance, and I think it, it, it's almost a bit like on one hand. The more you get, the more you want. You know, I'm I'm sure, you know, bankers and people in the finance world are, are, and I know they're similar. You know, the more money they make, the more they want. The more they want, and you get on a sort of, on a on a sort of very self focused drive to achieve more, to achieve more. And I, and I think the runs became like that. I sort of became really attached to it. I I also felt leaving in the morning, I would go to the ground. And I could, my brain would almost see myself getting out, let's say, for a low score. Mm. And then I could feel how low I would feel if that happened and what my evening would be like sitting in a stew of uncertainty. And so I would then come back to the present and be like, I'm not fucking getting out. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scoring some runs today. Like, I don't care what I have to do, whether I have to headbutt the ball 50 times or whether I have to. I found a way. And I think... Do you think that helps you then? That well, I, I think I think for a period it did, but the honest answer and perhaps the more relevant answer is that the consequences of that I think took its toll. Um, yeah, I think it took its toll on me mentally. Um, I think that it felt there was something inside me that knew deep down that I would fall off the the rail the railway track at some point. So it, it was like I was on a on a train. It was going towards a destination, but I knew the train would eventually derail. But the point is, if I got off the train before it derailed, there might not be another train. Yeah. So, so I stayed on the rickety train, going for as far as as far as I could because I I didn't come off the train that was that was going, and and that's kind of how it felt in the last five or six years. I was. I was pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you know, I felt like I had to. And I think a lot of the England stuff that I got embroiled in, being dropped and stuff, probably affected me more than I thought it would. Um, you know, I, I think I handled a lot of that England sort of time quite well. Um, but I let myself down 
for a couple of weeks and it only takes a couple of weeks particularly when you when you look at timing you know, the, the likes of Joe Root coming through um, the team the Andy Flower stuff you know I, I just don't think I caught the right side of it but that being said um, it was my fault I mean I, I let the door open slightly and that's sometimes enough to particularly at that level to to sort of let someone else in I think I, I can can certainly relate to to that kind of the satisfaction that you feel when you do well there's uh, several times where I've, I've I've got some runs and thought oh life's good this week and then I've got a pair and I'm thinking oh my god oh my god I can certainly yeah. like relate to that situation um for sure. sure um something that um I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um is the media scrutiny scrutiny um especially at the highest level um, and, and it comes with the territory, I suppose, of being an international sportsman. But how did you find the pressure of the media, and how did that affect you at times? Because I know that that, that, it, that it can it can take its toll. Again, as I say, I think I handled it quite well for periods, and I liked the fight. You know, I I felt a lot of my career was a fight, and and, I, and if it wasn't, I had to get myself into a fight. You know, that's how I played my best. And I went out there and I felt my back was against the wall. And so I found a way to to get a result and to pull something out of the bag and to to really get into that fighting mode, which, you know, against the new ball, it is a fight. It, it is a battle. It's a very, very tough, nervous time to play. Um, and I think going into the England environment, I don't think there was a naivety, but I I think I found at points some of the journalists, the way that they sort of, I wouldn't say went at me. I mean, Michael Vaughan comes to mind. I mean, he had a, a vested interest in Joe Root and some of his Yorkshire compatriots. And, you know, I sort of smiled at it most of the time and, you know, it is what it is. But it, it sort of amazed me. I think particularly when I got back from New Zealand, having scored back-to-back hundreds, that there were still question marks over my place, you know. And I sort of thought that in some ways I felt like a really resolute, professional cricketer who had deserved the spot, who it was tough, who had built up, you know, sort of a reputation of being quite courageous and somebody who didn't give his wicket away. And I sort of felt like the the, the vision of me, of people who knew me up close and personal, i.e. some of the players at, at, at Somerset versus my mentor and versus I almost felt like I started to keep proving to people that I could play at that level. And I sort of felt like that became a bit exhausting, you know, even towards the end when Andy Flower dropped me, it was like, gee whiz, like, you don't know what I'm about. I mean, you know, I played not very well in a couple of games against New Zealand and England, but no one really played that well. And it was quite a tough series with Bolt and, and Salvi early on in, in the English summer. Alistair Cook didn't get any runs either. And and then I was out, you know, and, and Joe Root moved up the order and that was it. And I think it was just more a, it was more a case of um, trying to de- trying to deal with it in a way that, I mean, I remember Matt Pryor saying to me, don't read the media. You know, he said to me that you're never as good as they say you are and you're never as bad as they say you are. And and I thought that was pretty fair. Um, I, I probably tried to use the media as a way to like prove them wrong. Um, but again, when you're, when you're, perhaps when your game's not working as well as you would like, you're suddenly fighting a really tough battle. You know, you, you're fighting your game every day as it is, but when you're fighting the media and you're trying to prove to people that you are the right man, 
you know, the load does become a bit more and you and you sometimes just need a bit of luck, you know, to, to get dropped the third slip or something when you're on 10 or 15. And, you know, and I just didn't get the right side of it. Um, so it was tough, um, but I didn't want to give in to the media. I wanted to fight it. I wanted to I wanted to get back. And and I, and I as I said, I sort of felt like 75 percent of the time I actually managed it quite well. There's a lot of pressure. Joe Reed, Johnny Best, so these guys to get in. Um, I was an older player. I wasn't 22, 23. Um, so I knew the black and white situation. I knew that if I performed, I, I stayed in. If I didn't perform, I was gone. So there weren't any gray areas, really. And, and it, yes, that made it harder because it was every innings meant I had to be on it. But um, at the same time, I felt like I should have, I should have had a bit more you know, um, there should have been a bit more like sort of confidence in me uh, in terms of what I could do. I, I, I don't think I was valued as much as I would like to be. And I'm not saying that in a self-pitying way at all, you know, uh, not at all. But I just felt like that they kind of missed out on what I could really offer if, if they backed me a bit more. Yeah, so you weren't you weren't someone who was picked on maybe potential and, and had shown just a few glimpses in county cricket, you were actually someone that had proven yourself at that level. I think in, in 2012, it was just, was it a bit of rain that just prevented you from getting, you know, a thousand runs by May? So did you feel like, you know, once you're at potentially the peak of your career, um, did you feel like once you got into that situation of playing test cricket, scored a couple of hundreds, did you feel like they they maybe just looked for a bit of a reason to, to, to drop you rather than trying to look at all, all the positives of what you had done? Did you feel like as soon as you went into that environment, it was, it was how, how, can we actually, how can we actually move this guy alongside so that we can bring in those, those younger, more sort of, sort of poster boys? Yeah. Is that, that a feeling you got? Yeah, I think it's be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. In life, we, we're, we're, we're navigating um, wanting more from ourselves, whether it be a bigger car, bigger house, better job um, versus what we actually have. And sometimes what we have is good enough. And sometimes wanting something else and leaving what you have m- makes you go back. Not always. Of course, there's a, there's a balance and there's a timing, et cetera. But I think England had enough. You know, if you look at winning in India, you know, no England team had done that for 30 years. Um, You know, we were sort of number one in the world. Um, I'd won every series I'd played in. Um, Was there going to be a better England opener or number three than me? For sure. Um, There had been and there will be. Um, But at the time, I felt that I was the best the best player outside of cook and trot in terms of the top order in the country. I think I'd proven that. Um, and I think that the job that I did and could do for the, for the team was very undervalued. Uh, I don't think there were many players in the country and haven't been many players in the country who could bat with the, the fighting qualities and the, the courage and, and hold things together. Like I could, I mean, sure. If you're playing, a lesser team, who would you rather watch back? That's not me. You know, I'm not going to compete with a, a Ben Stokes or a Joe Root, et cetera, from, from that perspective. But I think the job that I could do was an important one. And, and, and the fortunate thing about cricket is we've got 11 players. Um, you've got different conditions. You've got different environments. And you need different skills. And I felt for England to be 
consistent in all conditions, not just to have their day in the sun on a flat wicket or to, to be consistent. You need that sort of player. Do you know what I mean? And I think, secondly, when I did bat with Alistair Cook, looking at our partnership, it brought out the best in him because he now wasn't playing second fiddle to Andrew Strauss. He was now the main man. He was taking the next step in his career. And he knew that he had a reliable partner in me that wasn't going to give his wicket away. So I think in some ways it brought out the best in him. Um, and I do think that England, although they're trying to get back there now, lost way in the sense that they were getting too embroiled in one-day cricket, 2020 cricket, getting too caught up in the um, the glamour of a James Vince cover drive, or you know, um, you know, a, a um, you know, the, the sort of uh, Jason Roy kind of the that effect, and which didn't mm. work. You know, it, it didn't fundamentally work, and I sort of felt angry about that. In the not so much from not just from a personal perspective, but just that. I think you've got it wrong, guys. And and you know yeah. whether you pick me or whether you pick someone else, it it doesn't actually matter. But I I think setting it the wrong way here. This is about England team being consistent day in day out. You know, it's not about watching someone hit five great cover drives and going, oh, this guy's going to be amazing because that's not really what Test cricket's about. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a it's about the other other attributes, the other skills. And I think those are the type of skills that have kind of diminished in our in our minds and the viewers' minds. You know what I mean? It's all crash bang wallop. It's all about talent. It's all about you know the the glamour and how good this player is. But you know, I I felt like I was still I, I was quite old guard in terms of my mentality. The game hasn't changed. Mm. It's five days, and if you're a, a team batting first and you bat for a day your statistics or your percentages of winning the game go up versus if you get knocked over early. So I came from that sort of, that sort of mindset and yeah, I, f- I found it, um, I found it quite tricky for a period because I did feel I deserved to be there. Um, can you talk us through the feelings of emotion that you must have experienced getting your first test hundred in front of your family in New Zealand? I mean, that must've been a, I can remember watching it on the telly actually, but that must have been a phenomenal. Yeah, that moment. was unreal. Can you? I remember watching. I remember watching that. I think actually before I went to school, I would have only been about eleven or twelve. But yeah, seeing seeing your dad there celebrate at the ground, that must have been a special moment. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 one that I like. You know, it's obviously great to talk about. I, I think the the reason why it was quite special was um, I remember sitting on the bus before the first test, and Andy Flower called me up to sit next to him and. Yeah, he was pretty honest. He said, look, um, you're going to start. Um, I don't know. I can't promise how many games you're going to play for, um, but you're going to start the first test match. And I sort of walked away thinking, well, okay. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's Real nice. confidence booster, that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, no, I mean... I, he didn't say it in a negative way. It just—it was just matter of fact. It was—it was—it was probably pretty honest. Um, yeah. You know, I—I—I I, I think the only thing that f- felt uncomfortable about the India series, I think I averaged thirty-five in that series for my for my first Test series, which, which looking back wasn't bad. You know, I I didn't very good blow the world alive, but I averaged thirty-five in the series we won on your first Test series, starting in India against Ashwin and these sort of guys. So I think I did okay. I, I think what probably annoyed me is I didn't get that one big score you know I got those I got a lot of starts and just when I thought I was going to go on you know I I sort of got out and and I think it was if I could have averaged 41 or 42 in that series 
it's amazing how numbers are, you know, would have quelled a lot of talk or any question marks. You know what I mean? It's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, you're averaging 41, 42 people don't, won't say anything. You know what I mean? They'll leave you alone. You're averaging 35. There's a little bit of a question mark, et cetera. So going into that New Zealand series, I still had to, I had to stamp my mark. I mean, it was pretty obvious I had to get a big score in New Zealand. I mean, that's as black and white as you're going to get it. Um, so I guess, you know, that first test match, I mean, I got naught in the first game. I mean, the first innings. And, you know, you can imagine what it feels like walking back. I was thinking, well, that's it. I mean, I'm done. I mean, I've got naught in the first test. I mean, the first innings, um, you know, I've got one more innings left. I mean, that's literally it. And I... I think it was tough because New Zealand racked up about 450 or something. We had two days in the field and I was, you know, you've got two days to sort of think about how you're going to start your second innings. And it was, and I've been going over and over and just thinking, how am I going to play? What's my mindset going to be? Am I going to be relaxed? Am I going to go there and fight my ass off? Am I going to go just fuck it? And I, you know, you go through all these emotions throughout the day. My dad had arrived. He was staying in a, in a caravan park because there was no hotels available. So the poor, the old man was literally slumming it. Um, and uh, I saw him, I think it was the end of day three, potentially, because we got bowled out day one. They batted for day two and most of day three. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I actually had this toothache um, on day three. And I went up going up to the team doctor and I said, I mean, there's something wrong with my tooth. Like, it sounds ridiculous. Like, I, I need to go and see someone. Um, so end of day three, we've come off the field. They're on 400 million for five or whatever they were. Um, we we had bowled, we had bowled pretty ordinarily. And I got swissed off to an emergency dentist. Um, so I'm in this dentistry and I've got a root canal that's got infected. So I'm in there for two hours while this guy is doing a root canal emergency surgery on my it's not what you bottom, need after on my bottom left. <laughs> mate, if you can imagine, I'm sitting there like it's sort of eight o'clock at night. I've got to open the batting tomorrow, like pretty much, and I and I've got this drill going in my thing, and I'm just all I'm thinking about is that first ball, like just don't nick Trent off. Bolt I just can't, steaming you know, in. <laughs> yeah, thinking like this is just this is hell. Like I've got a duck and in my first test. I've got root canal surgery, and then if I got another duck in the second, I may as well just I may as well just walk across the length of New Zealand and like you know sort of never come home again. You know what I mean? So. Um, so anyway, so that root canal finishes. I go back to the hotel. I see dad quickly to, to catch up. I'm in a foul mood. I mean, I'm in a foul mood. I'm, I'm sort of like, this is the end. You know, all of this bloody England thing, all for this. You know, I mean, I've I've got out. I, I sort of played on. It wasn't a terribly bad shot. It just sort of bounced, bounced, hit the, hit the wickets, you know, sort of. And I was sort of saying to him, oh, it's all over. And you know, it's my last innings. And obviously he's come all this way and doesn't want to hear this kind of language, you know, the night before yeah. my second inning. So we've kind of left in a bit of a, you know, I've left in a bit of a, in a, in a mood. I've gone back to my room and yeah, I sort of, I suppose I went to bed. Um, I woke up and there was a part of me that did that quite a lot of my career where I would sort of talk how the end was there and I was playing terribly and my career was over. But deep down there was like a, I'm going to fucking do something. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, like it, it almost took, the, it was almost my way of getting rid of the pressure. Like, you know, it's over, it's gone, you know, it's done. 
But then there's a little like little lights perhaps in my in my head or on my shoulder thinking, you know, maybe there's one other there's another way. And and I got to the ground and the sports psychologist was there. Um and I went into the nets and he just said one thing to me. He said, Look, if you're in the crowd and you want a lottery ticket, and the lottery ticket was to put on an English show and go and get to face the first ball or and open the batting with Alistair Cook, what would you want that experience to be like? If you had one match, you won a lottery ticket, you get an English shirt, you get all the kit. What would you want to experience? And I said, I said, I want to go out there and play some classy shots, you know, and hear the crowd roar. I mean, if I'm not going to play a game, I don't want to like dince about and push at one and get caught behind and walk back and feeling sorry for yourself. I thought at least let me go and play a couple of like cover drives or a pull shot where I think that's a hell of a I'm good, shot. Yeah. That's a- yeah, that, that's flipping how the crowd roar and I'm wearing my English shirt and I'm thinking, you know what, I, I experienced that. You know, I experienced feeling what it was like to hit a great shot. So I, I kind of just carried that through. I think that was kind of the strength of character I had on that morning was like, you know what, I, I had a very much an a effort mentality. So I just walked back to my place, took my pads off. We did the morning warm-up and I kept just saying to myself, just fuck it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. If it's there, hit it. If it's there smashed it if it's there and I walked out there and I remember walking out and I was quite confident I was looking at New Zealand players you know I was like going good luck mate Alistair I wasn't all like a bit shy and a bit sort of like you know pressures on me I just thought you know what to the hell with it and the first ball was you know as you probably expect on on a pair it was pitched at the stumps and I managed to push it on the ground for two or three and you know, I managed to just get going, and then and then the sort oh, of the yeah. old hab- yeah the old habits kicked in, and I got into that sort of mental routine that I sort of done quite successfully last couple of years. And and actually, the funny thing about Dad is I could see Dad out of the right corner of my eye. He st- he was sitting in this you know often finds these kind of obscure places to watch cricket. <laughs> so I sort of found him, and he became a mental kind of routine. Like at the end of every over, I would check in with him almost, and I could see him looking at me and sort of pulling a little fist and you know, would just say, keep, stay calm. And, and it became a bit of a, a thing throughout the game. You know, I sort of looked at him and, you know, then he moved, you know, like, just don't go anywhere. If you need yeah. to like, go to the toilet, just, just do it in your pants. You know what I mean? Like you're not going anywhere. <laughs> get, get a, yeah. Get a pint glass. Yeah, out. exactly. And then, you know, at the end, yeah, I sort of got the hundred and, you know, to see obviously the replays and, and the emotion come out. I think it meant a lot to both of us. Um, I have a sister, uh, I have a sister back home in a wheelchair, and, um, you know, had a, a really desperately bad car accident probably some some years before that. And I think the family had gone through a lot. So I think it meant a lot for for the two of us in particular. And um, amazing how it just shows in sport, you know, how one day to the next can just change your whole life, really. Um, you know, and I, as I said, you know, in terms of enjoyment, I never really allowed i mean you don't really enjoy that innings because you're just like you just want the hundred you know just get the hundred yeah. and then you can do whatever you want you know and um yeah and that was kind of it really and then obviously you you, you backed it up with another hundred was it uh in the in the very next test or um, yeah yeah the so next that, test. That, that must have been incredibly satisfying not only to get that that first that maiden test century and then do do it again um i can imagine that was incredibly satisfying yeah, I think, you know, scoring runs is a habit, being being in form is a habit and, you know, don't don't mess with it. I, I guess I'd found something and had had time in the middle and got a bit of confidence and kind of knew their bowlers and, you know, went out there again and, and managed to sort of do the same thing. You know, I had the same formula, the same 
and and I I played better in the, in that second test. It was a different game. We batted first. We weren't trying to save the game. So I think I was a little bit more fluent. I think I played some of my better shots towards the end of that innings. Um, probably disappointed to have got a hundred and then got out the next ball. I, I think that can only be down to I just probably over celebrated my hundred. Um, and that probably Same disappointed me the most. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sort of I think I was overexcited and. You know, normally for Somerset, you know, I, I got hundreds and got big hundreds. You know what I mean? And mm. and I think that 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 was probably the only disappointment. But yeah, I mean, obviously, two hundreds in a row. You know, I felt pretty good about that. And and you know, but again, it, it's funny. You get two hundreds in a row, and suddenly, uh, I was thinking, can I make a three? You know, because I, I just I never you you can never set set on your laurels. You know, you can never. You know, you've got to keep pushing. And I felt that was the way to go. Like, it's never enough. Graham Gooch was our batting coach at the time. And he said, you've never got enough. You've never got enough. So just when you think, oh, yeah, you know, I can sit back in my chair and, you know, count my count my money or count my dollars. No, you haven't got enough. You need more. You need more. And, you know, that was kind of the mentality. I didn't play particularly well in the third test. Um, and we had that sort of amazing uh, save for victory where Matt Pryor got 100 and there was a lot of drama. And Monty Panasar was diving to try and get across oh, yeah. the line. I mean, it was absolute chaos. I'll never forget that. But uh, yeah, I mean, all in all, as you say, two, two, two back-to-back hundreds going back to England, you know, in a much better place. Do you do you, do you find that you celebrate them more now than, than you did at the time, or or did you really enjoy the celebrations? Was there a big, was there a relief when you got the, especially the first one? Was there definitely was there some relief in there in that celebration? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, there's no doubt. You, you dream about that moment. You know, playing in the game is one thing. Um, wearing the shirt's another. But, I mean, you know, you guys are, are sport sport mad guys, you know, whether it be, you know, scoring a, a goal in the final of the World Cup or, you know, scoring 100 on, on a, in a test match. I mean, that's what you really looked at. It was scoring 100. It was scoring 100 mm-hmm. in a test match wearing an England shirt. I mean, that was the tick box if there ever was one. And, you know, I think to suddenly you've got 100 and go, oh, my God, like, I've scored 100 in a test match. Like, I've done that. Like, uh, you know, I, I needed that. And I think that was, uh, yeah, I, I think a huge relief. I mean, just to to go, geez, you know, this is one life, you know. And, I mean, I, it almost felt like going back to being a 13-year-old kid, dreaming of this yeah. moment, watching Jacques Callis, Michael, you know, Vaughan, whether, it, you know, Mark Rambrick, watching these guys and thinking, I'm at school. I mean, there's so many levels to go to even get close to that and suddenly be there with the shirt and doing it. Yeah, I think there's a moment where it is, it is pretty surreal and, and, and almost unbelievable. You just feel like a little kid. And that's why I said when I walked out to Bat and saw Donnie and Tendulkar, there was part of me that was like, you know, can I, can I have your autograph, you know, and can you make it out to Nick, you know what I mean? So, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing how, how you said that, like, you know, literally the day before you're thinking that is completely you know potentially the end of your your test cricket playing days and then the next day just everything changes um and i suppose that that is probably you know something that people only really experience in the sport and particularly you know professional international sport where the highs are so high and then the lows are so low um i can imagine it was incredibly tough to sort of try and find that middle ground um, because yeah. I think that's another thing we, we, we try and, you know, uh, express as a, as, as a mental health and sport charity, try not to, to get too high and, 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 and too low. Um, 
did you find that that was particularly tough or maybe later on in your career you 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 were able to do that and what's what would be your advice to to young athletes who are you know of course you're gonna you know care so much about your performance but what would your advice be to try and sort of stay balanced and and try yeah. not to let that you know those high highs and low lows of sport really really kick in what would what would your advice be well i think to answer the first part of your question um the highs were very high the lows were very low um and i i think i alluded to at the beginning of the conversation you know a guy like alistair cook who you know had highs and lows too but i think his highs and lows had a bit more of a a wavy equilibrium to it if that's the way to put it whereas mine felt more like a sort of dramatic roller coaster um, at a theme park, you know what I mean. It was, it was very high, very low. I think there's logic and there's rationale, and I think the logic and rationale is we're trying to achieve balance. You hear it from sports psychologists, from from people, and from you know the, what you just asked me now is yes, we're looking for balance. We're trying to see past performance as being the mainstay of of our emotional sort of personality. And I think for me, the, the, the big thing was I worked with a mentor, Neil Burns, who helped me hugely in, in this domain um, in the sense that fundamentally as a sportsman, if you score runs, you know, I have 300 WhatsApps waiting for me when I get back to the hotel room, I've got sponsors, you know, potentially upping my contract, sending me, you know, various things, um, you know, the media are all over you, you know, and it's very easy to then view yourself as a person much in the same way. So when you're doing well, you feel great about yourself. You feel good. You feel like this is the person I want to be. Likewise, when you're doing badly, you feel bad about yourself you don't you don't like yourself because the media don't like you because you, you don't hear from friends because sponsors go quiet and the, the it's, it's a very tough thing to get to that actually whether i score 100 naught five ten don't play in the game has absolutely no bearing on who you are as a human being and mm -hmm. i think for a youngster if they can if they can shift their mindset to being a quality human being a quality individual um, what are the quality of your relationships like? How are you doing up each day? Are you yourself? Are you being a good teammate? Are you being respectful? Do you have humility, um, both for yourself, for others, and for the game? Then I think you're winning. I, I think the, the game, and it's a difficult place to get, the game will be up and down. Cricket, the best players in the world average, average 50 um, and often fail more often than they succeed. So... I think there's got to be an acceptance of that when you go into the game, you know, irrelevant of how good you want to be. I think, you know, secondly, it's then a case of the work and the practice that you put in, you know, the consistency comes through your processes and your practice. So guys, it's very much working out as quickly as you can. Who am I? What kind of a player I am and what kind of strengths do I have? And I think in the modern day game, you've got to work with what you've got because I think we can all be the jack of all trades, master of none. But I think today's game needs players to be masters of something, whether it be hitting three sixes in the last three balls of a game, whether it's hitting your Yorkers or, or your death overs, whether it's taking a few wickets up front and swinging it. I think you've got to do something well. And I tried to be that guy who could go out there and bat for a day 
like Alistair Cook, Jonathan Trot. You know, there weren't mm. too many that others that could do it. So I think if you're a young player out there, guys, the one there is a bigger picture. You know, use cricket, use sport to give you the experience that it has given me. You know, I've traveled to some amazing countries. I've played against some amazing cricketers. I've met some amazing people. I've played with some amazing cricketers. You know, look at the world-class players I've stepped foot on. You know, those are the experiences. I took some great pictures. Photography is something that I really enjoy going on tours. You know, sure, I've got a couple of hundreds. I I genuinely think I, I had 40 or 50 tests in me. It didn't happen. Um, it's something that has caused me some pain and suffering at times. I, I, I found it hard because that was so important to me. But fundamentally, I think when I look back, I've got some amazing friends. Um, you know, I played at two of some of the most famous cricket grounds in the world. You know, there's a lot of other things to be happy for. But I think fundamentally, if you're a young player and you want to make it, drive, ambition and passion, you need to have that. I don't care how good you are, how talented you are. I think one of the reasons why I got so far is because I wanted it more than others. You know, Ireland beat South Africa on Wednesday. They wanted it more. You know, did did the the Italian football team, you know, at the right time, probably wanted it more in that second half. They just had more desire and passion, you know. So, uh, you know, these are small moments. But I think in terms of your career, you've got to really want it. But you've also got to understand that with that, um, is going to come a lot of failure, is going to come some success. And I think the reason why you want to stay balanced is because you don't want it to affect your next innings. You know, otherwise you, you're taking in residue from the previous, the previous innings or the previous match. And the more balanced you can be, and that's why I go right back to the controlling your emotions. If you can control those emotions, good or bad, I think your percentages of, of being successful go dramatically up. If you're up and down, if, you, if you're allowing self-doubt, anxiety to, to, to really control you in matches, I think you're going to have an, you're going to have an inconsistent, inconsistent time of it. So that's kind of my advice. Um, you know, I, you try and enjoy it as much as you can. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the process of getting better. I mean, being a professional cricketer or a professional sportsman is an amazing opportunity because you go in every day to improve on a skill that you've been given, God's given you um, every single day. You know, not many people get that opportunity. Um, so those are probably the learnings I, I took from it. Um, but easier said than done. That's brilliant. That's some real insightful um, stuff there, Nick. Um, I think the final question I've got for you before before we, before we bring this podcast to a close is that obviously in 2018, you retired. Um, and I just want to know a little bit of how you've coped with the transition. It's something that I've been through personally, it's something I've read about. Uh, somebody like Andrew Flintoff, I know it's well documented that he struggled with the transition from going from, I think it was the adrenaline rush of playing professional sport to going into not getting that, those endorphins every day. How, how have you coped with retiring and how have you managed to get your, your, your adrenaline rush up? Honestly, um, not particularly well. Um, I I found the the end of my career incredibly difficult. Um, I think, like any career, your your career goes through phases. When you're a youngster, you, you want a professional contract. That's the dream. You get the professional contract. You then want to make your debut. You make your debut. You then want to be a permanent fixture. You become a permanent fixture. You want to play for England. And I think all through your ages, there's different goals and and, and different things that to achieve. I think once England had sort of ended for me and, and it wasn't going to happen again, I think I turned my attention to what, what can I now do in my career? And I, I saw 
potentially captaincy leadership and having more of a a sort of holistic sort of um say uh, involvement with a club as being the next stage from 33 to say you know 38 39 you know depending on, on on where you get to and that didn't really open up for me at Middlesex I think they were going through a few difficulties and, and I certainly found I was I felt like I was hanging from a cliff by three fingers then two fingers then one finger um, I found getting onto a pitch harder and harder. I found the enjoyment levels really going down. I have to say I've had 12 operations. Um, the most recent being both had had both my hips operated on. I had a neck surgery in 2016. There were definitely injury concerns, which as a sportsman, you you told you sort of you you sort of you, you you get on with it. I mean, you you're constantly getting on with it, taking painkillers, and you just get out there. I think they were starting to take its toll. And I don't think I perhaps realized how much it was getting me down, um, how much the pain, um, how hard it was being in the field and being sore, et cetera. So I, I found that my mental health disintegrated. Um, there were times in the field where I had tears in my eyes. I, you know, I remember that last series for England against Sri Lanka. I just, I couldn't enjoy it. And and it was the hardest thing for me to acknowledge because I had dreamt about this moment, but I just, I just, I just felt like I didn't have this, the, the same animal wasn't in there. And the harder I tried to, to get back to being that animal, the harder I tried to train, I felt the more I was pushing myself down further. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard to acknowledge because, you know, this is what I, dreamt of doing and this is the and this is what I wanted to be but I think the harder it got um the more my mental health disintegrated and and I really did sort of fall on my fall on my backside so to speak to right at the end I mean I once it finished I I felt like I'd sort of crawled to the finish line you know as if I'd sort of pulled a, yeah. both hamstrings and had to sort of you know get on my hands and knees and and, and, and crawl past the, the sort of last 10 kilometers and and that's not a great way to go out you know um you know, I, I really hung on. I did my testimonial year, but it, it, it was tough. Um, you know, I, I found myself, I, I found it very hard to get out of bed. You know, I was, I, mm. I couldn't get out of bed till lunchtime. Um, I found myself, you know, the, the coffee and I, I drank a lot of coffee just to be able to open my eyes. I felt like I was faking it in front of teammates towards the end, you know, trying to not show that I was really struggling internally. Um, I don't think coaches really understood what was going on. Um, you know they were they were sort of focused on team winning and and players performing and my mental health and what I was going through perhaps wasn't the most important thing on on their agenda and you know I think when you fight a, a battle like that one that you are learning about yourself one that you are trying to fight because you know no one wants to feel like that and certainly I didn't want to feel like that on a on a cricket field on a, on a sports field this is something I should be enjoying but um, mentally I just I couldn't keep my eyes open you know the the, the the burnout and the the depression got quite bad. Um, to be very frank about it, I did go to a mental health um, um, rehab um, in America for a month to to try and get some clarity and to try and give myself a break um, and to try and work on a few things to to bridge that gap. And but you know, nothing heals like time. Um, yeah. It's it's been two two really brutal years. I have to be honest. Um, you know, I've spent as I said, I spent time in South Africa. I think leaving England and not watching cricket and 
and trying not to to sort of think about the past has taken the, has been hard. Um, you know, the photography I spoke about earlier has, has been kind of the the next stage is, is something I, I took with me on on tours, and you know, I've I've used it to to try and see other countries, to love some of my passions, my creative outlets, to to really to to go forward and. You know that's kind of been my way of of kind of perhaps healing slightly. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, it has been tough. Um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm still going through it now, but I, I feel like I'm in a much better place. I've I've done a lot of work from a meditation point of view. Um, I've done a lot of work, you know, to to try and really do some self development to make um, to make peace with the past and and look at my career in more of a positive way than than really you know self-loathing and and you know because for a long time I sort of was quite self-destructive you know I should have played more you know I messed up I messed up and you know that goes around your head enough times it, it, it's hard work well I mean yeah thank thank you so much for being so you know open and honest with us and I think you know, just hearing you talk there it's a great example for, for you know young athletes listening that you know yourself you've achieved so much in in the sport you know played international cricket done well done pretty much everything that you can do in first class cricket um and yet you know still it it, it shows that even if you get to that level you can still go through you know mental health problems um and it's not you know mental health issues aren't exclusive just to just to athletes that maybe don't quite get get to a good level or or, or go get dropped when they're young you know mental health problems can come to the absolute athletes that thrive so I think that's that's a hugely you know important takeaway just because just because you're at the top of your sport doesn't mean that everything's absolutely plain sailing and yeah so so brilliant there that you said that you know you, you did reach out for the for the support and you took your mental health as as seriously as um as you could so yeah I mean it, it, it's great to hear that you think you're you're getting back on a better track now but yeah thank you so much for 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 being as honest um, as, as you were that I think that's going to be incredibly valuable to a lot of athletes um, that hopefully listen to this um, so Nick thank you thank you so much we won't take any more of your time there because you've given us um, a great a great great podcast thank you so much for speaking to us it's been absolutely incredible um, and I'm sure going to be extremely um, extremely valuable to a lot of people so yeah thank you very much thanks yeah, guys thanks. Thanks, Nick. I mean, some of that, what you said there towards the end was incredibly powerful stuff. Um, and I'm sure that'll go a long way to helping people. We've had some really nice messages about some of the podcasts that we've done and how it's helped people. But I think that that kind of um, situation, that honesty there, I think will go a long way to helping to helping people. And, and and like Cal says that, you know, the internal battles can still be there no matter what level that you get to. So um, we really appreciate that honesty and some absolutely fantastic fantastic content there for us to share with the people that follow the sporting minds um and channel so thank you very much thanks, guys yeah thanks very much guys and yeah you know really enjoyed really enjoyed it you know it was nice to to regale some stories but also you know ideally it, you know i'm here to sort of try and support you know players that either want to go into sport or are in sport because i think you know there's nothing more powerful than being open and honest it's not always easy to do it's not always easy to admit um, but if you can find, you know, a, a trusted support or friends and people that do understand, it makes a huge difference. So, um, you know, here's to, to any athlete who's struggling or anyone who's struggling. It's something not just to do with athletes, but 
you know, it's it's not something to shy away from. I think it's, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and go, look, we do struggle from time to time. It's normal. We're human beings. And, um, you know, we just need a bit of help to get back on track. Yeah. Brilliant. Like I say, Nick, thank you so much. Thank you so much cool. for your time. Um, for listeners of the podcast, we'll be back soon, hopefully with another episode as soon as possible. Myself and Cal are working on that as we speak. Um whilst um, playing some fairly average cricket on Saturdays as well. Um, But we'll try and be back as soon as possible with another episode of the Sporting Minds UK podcast. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, Hopefully catch you soon. Cheers, boys.